Let's have a word of prayer before I, I continue. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you uh, this evening for an opportunity to come and share the Word of God. I pray, Lord, for those who've come. I pray, Lord, that you would even prepare them to receive the truth of the Scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring results based on your Word going out and people listening to it, that it would produce salvation. I ask you for that, Lord. And so tonight, Lord, in this Christmas season, that you would just make us mindful of what it's all about and help us to focus our attention now upon you and what your word says. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If um, you want to follow along on the back of your bulletin, the scripture that I'm going to be using is there. And it'd be good to do that so you can see that I'm getting some of the things I'm saying from the very Word of God. And so tonight, I titled my message, Seeking God. Because when I talk to people, uh, it seems like people from different places at different times are seeking God, at least in their own way. Uh, People do seek the Lord in their own way. But what they don't realize is that their seeking for God is done in vain. Uh, it is, it's because it's done in the wrong way. In other words, if you don't know what you're really looking for, or what you're searching for, then your searching will be frustrating and yield no profit and le- really lead to a dead end. So, see, people do seek the Lord, but they seek in the wrong way, they seek in the wrong places, and they seek the wrong things. And people are seeking all kinds of things. They're seeking glory, they're seeking honor, they're seeking pleasure, they're seeking wealth, they're seeking love, they're seeking fulfillment in all kinds of vices. And surely people don't know who they're searching for if they're searching for anyone. But if you are given the guidelines. If I give you the guidelines on how to search, where to search, what to search for, and who to search for, well then, that's exactly what the Bible does. The Bible has been given to us by God so we can know where to seek, so we can know what to seek, and that we can know who to seek because ultimately the Bible is going to bring us to seek a person. Anybody who's serious about becoming a Christian, they have to understand a few things. That becoming a Christian is not like joining a club. Neither is it the same as taking up a new interest or a new hobby. Someone's desire to become a Christian has to come from a sense of an overwhelming need, a sense that they can't create themselves. It can't be just a casual interest. See, only God working in a person's mind and heart can create that. Can't make yourself a Christian. You, can't de- decide, you can decide to call yourself a Christian, 
but it's not the same as being one. This is true because of what a Christian really is. By definition, a Christian is a person, is a Christ person, one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and one who seeks to live his life or her life according to the Savior's teaching. But this is contrary really to all that we know in our nature, who we are as humans. So that nature first has to be changed if we are to become real biblical Christians, and only God could do that. Now, does that mean that there's nothing a person can do to become a Christian? Well, they must wait on God to become a Christian. That is true. Uh, but there is something we can do, and that's we can seek the Lord because the Word of God is all about seeking God. See, the first thing we need to do is to start where the where God wants us to start, and where is that? That if we're going to seek the Lord or seek God properly, then we must start to seek God in the Scriptures. In fact, if you look at your uh, in the back of your bulletin there, the first Scripture there is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And if you notice what it says there in verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and then, of course, Jesus is speaking here, and he says this, It is these that testify of me. In other words, he is saying to the people there, Listen, you're searching the Scripture. It's a great place to start, because in the Scripture is the very thing that testifies of me, of Jesus. But if you notice the next passage in verse 40, it says this, But you are unwilling to come to me, so that you may have life. See, the problem is in the heart of man. The problem is in the willingness to want to come. See, people don't want what God is offering them because they have their own way of doing things. They have their own way of seeking. So, see, there's a problem, and this is the problem, and the problem is that they're seeking uh, on their own. They're seeking something that only they could uh, do on their own, and they're not seeking it from Scripture. But Jesus also says in this passage that's not in your bulletin, he says that, listen, if you said you believe Moses, well, I gave you Moses as a prophet, and if you said that you believed him, then you should believe me, but you don't believe me because you really didn't believe Moses. And, of course, he's really talking about the Scriptures. And that's what he's talking about. You're not believing what's already there in the word of God. And, but that's the place to start. That's the place to seek God in Scripture. Now, also in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, in your bulletin, uh, there's a couple things that sinners or people need to know when they do seek the Lord properly. And it says in verse number 1 of Luke 15, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. So, one way to listen to God, one way to seek God is to listen to him. And that's what they were doing here. And if you notice also in verse number one, recognize who may come to listen. Who was coming to listen to Jesus? It says in verse one, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to him. Obviously, Jesus had something to say that got the attention of these people. 
Now, notice that these kind of people were, who were coming to listen to Jesus, these were not the elite people. These were not the respectable people of society. Instead, these people were the dysfunctional people. They were the ones that didn't fit in to the norm. They were not the honorable people. They were actually the lowlifes. They were the riffraffs. They were, in a sense, the scum of the earth. And they heard Jesus, and they wanted to listen to what he had to say because he was attracting them. Jesus has something that attracts people. And he's attracting these tax collectors and these sinners. Now, the reason why they put those two differently is because the Jews really did hate the tax collectors. And for probably an obvious reason, because their job was to collect money, and they were given the authority by the Roman government to collect the amount that they set, and then any other amount above that, uh, they, could, they could collect on their own. And of course, if you do that, then in a short period of time, you can become a very wealthy person. So virtually, they had a free hand to overcharge people and extort whatever they could from their own countrymen. Of course, I don't know if tax collectors have a better name today either um, because they just have more creative ways of getting into our pockets, don't they? And not calling taxes taxes. Uh, they do that well. And so you know that every time you have a paycheck, you get less and less because of new, some uh, new creative uh, pl uh, place on your paycheck that they're taking money from you. But it really is a tax because the government uh, wants your money and they need your money. And so the tax collectors were not looked at uh, at all in, in a favorable way. In fact, publicans uh, were so despised by the Jews that they were barred from the synagogues. They couldn't even go and worship and they were regarded as unclean beasts and were treated like swine. And so they, they, they couldn't even witness in a court of law because they didn't trust them. They didn't trust anything about their word. And so they, were, they considered them to be uh, flagrant liars and, and really class, classified them with robbers and with murderers. And so these people are being attracted to Jesus. And there's another category group here, and they're called just sinners. That's, that's everybody else beside the tax collectors. And the sinners were considered uh, people who were offenders of God's law, and they were just vile, polluted people deserving the punishment of the righteous wrath of God according to how the Jews viewed people. So therefore, the tax collectors and sinners were considered outcasts of the Jewish society, and the Pharisees thought of them as non-law keepers. So therefore, they were excluded from everything, and God favored the Jews and didn't favor anyone else. And so these things were true. But the contrast here is that the righteous or the religious of that society did not see themselves as being included in either term, tax collector or sinner. See, that is why it's recorded in Scripture is their unfavorable response to Jesus' guest. When Jesus invited them to come and listen, 
they said that this man, Jesus, receives sinners and he actually sits down and eats with them. Now, that was very troubling to a Jewish person who considered themselves self-righteous and religiously pious. And that was unacceptable behavior uh, to a Jew. And so, but this is Jesus' audience. Jesus' audience is not the upright person. It's not the upright citizen. It is not the, the person who has everything going for them. It is a person who's really... Uh, understands sin, understands the plight of their heart and what it's doing to them and how it is controlling them. And so another passage of Scripture in Luke 5 in your, in your bulletin, Jesus again in Luke 5.27, this is what he says. He says, after that he went out and noticed the tax collector. His name was Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. All right, and then he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Levi gave, his, gave a big reception uh, to Jesus in his house, and a great crowd claim, came to the house. That crowd included tax collectors and other people who were dining at his table. And the Word of God tells us that the Pharisees, the self-righteous and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And this is what Jesus said to them. He said this to them. Listen. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, I have not come to call the righteous. In other words, I have not come to call the ones who don't think they need to be saved. They don't think they need to be healed. I didn't call them. I called people who understand. I called sinners to repentance. That's what he says. People who begin to realize that they are sinners before God, under God's wrath and judgment, and that there's something deeply wrong in their heart, and that they have no relationship with God, but they do desire one but they just don't know how to seek it. And so, again, both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble because Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. So that's what he does. Jesus welcomed them together, had a meal with them, and the Pharisees and scribes thought that if this man becomes a friend of sinners, he will contaminate himself he will ruin his career as a holy man, and he will lose his influence in his teaching. That's what they thought. What they didn't understand was that Jesus came to offer salvation to sinners. That the lowest of sinners, God wanted to demonstrate his mercy and grace toward them. He wanted them to listen to what he had to say. He wanted to sit down with them and share with them how they can be cleansed from the pollution of sin, how they can be washed, how they can be purified by believing in Jesus and the gospel message, which all points to him. In fact, uh, aren't you, we should all be glad in this Christmas season that Jesus receives sinners. You know why? Because all of us are sinners. We're sinners by nature. And so therefore, because we are sinners, we will sin. And so the record of our sin is growing every single day. 
And somebody has to be held responsible for every word we, ever, we speak, every thought we ever thought, every deed we ever did. And God is recording those things, and our conscience is, is going to bear witness. And so the Lord knows what's going on. Once we realize that we are sinners, then, see, that's where Jesus comes in, because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save sinners, unrighteous people, people that... Uh, were not right with God and realized that they needed a physician. They needed a physician for their soul. And that physician was Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go in, into scriptures, you'll find examples all over the place. Mary Magdalene was possessed with seven demons, met Jesus, and became a believer and, and became a strong believer. You find her everywhere at the cross, at the tomb. Mary was a devoted believer because she met Jesus. You have the, uh, the, uh, the demoniac of the Gadarenes who was possessed with a legion of demons. He wore no clothes. He lived in tombs. He was insane when he met Jesus. The devils left him, and he was clothed in his right mind and became a witness to the power of Christ in his whole region. And Jesus he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you stay here and witness for me, and that's what he did. The Samaritan woman, she was an adulterer, married multiple times. She meets Jesus. After having a conversation with him, what does she do? She repents of her sin. She believes in Christ and becomes saved. She becomes washed. She becomes clean. Jesus receives her. Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus says, follow me. He becomes a faithful follower Disciple and apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lydia, a businesswoman. Her heart is opened. She repents and believes. Druggers, uh, drunkards, homosexuals, harlots, liars, murderers, religious, the moral, the ethical, the religious righteous may all come and listen and repent and believe in Jesus. That's what this season's about that God sent Jesus into this world as the God-man and uh, to experience all human, what human beings experience. In fact, Jesus experienced the power of temptation and the power of the influence of, of evil more than any person who ever lived because he was able to take the full brunt of the temptation and he passed every single test as a man he was 100% man, but he was God. And because God took on flesh so he can die in the place of sinners and then take the wrath and judgment of God. So see, see, the first thing, place we need to start seeking God and a relationship with, with him is in the scriptures and start listening to Jesus. A second thing is that we must seek God by understanding that our sin, your sin, separates you from God and will eventually take you to hell. It will eventually take you there. Sin, guilt, judgment are truths that we may not like. And they're hard to take. But they are the only explanation to the state of this world today. And, for the, and, the, and the state of our own hearts because it's out of the wickedness of our hearts that we witness all this evil that happens. Just recently, even that thing in 
that happened in Connecticut, we think to ourselves, how could that be? How can someone do that to little, little children? But you know what? The wickedness of man's heart is deep. Very deep. And Jesus Christ came for sinners. See, it's the only explanation for things like that happening. That we are wicked to the core. And these are the reasons why we need to become Christians. It was even in Isaiah, the Lord, through his prophet, says that, listen, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So it's sin that keeps us from the presence of God. It is sin that keeps us out of the presence of God. But again, Jesus becomes the answer to that. So thirdly, we must seek the Lord God's way. And God has only one way. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, that Christ is not one of many ways to God. He is the only way. That's not bigotry. That's not intolerance. That's simply truth. That's truth. And to the natural man, truth is confusing. It's irrelevant and even foolish as compared to what they are thinking and what they know. But when Jesus died on the cross... He did so to fulfill God's plan of salvation for sinners. And so God made Jesus responsible for our sin, and Jesus gladly accepted that awful responsibility and took the full brunt of the wrath of God for our sin, for the sins of those who will come and believe in him. So when he died on that cross, he did so as a sacrifice, bearing our sin and guilt and taking the punishment for that sin, he died in the place of sinners. He was the substitute. He was the substitute for sinners. So in this way, God was able to satisfy his own holiness. And in that sin was dealt with legally. It was dealt with justly. And at the same time, he is now able to Forgive the guilty sinner of all their sins. You know, so that, you know what that means? That means to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord means that you acknowledge your sin and guilt and you plead with God to save you from the consequences of your own sin. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's not just physical death. That's eternal death. That's the first death and the second death. If you believe in Jesus, you don't have the second death. If you believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, you do have the second death. And so, this he can do. He, he's willing to do this because uh, God's willing to do that because of what Jesus did on the cross. So God makes us Christians, not only by forgiving our sins, but also by dealing with the root of our problem. And that's not our sinful behavior. That's not the root of our problem. Our, it's our sinful nature. That's the problem. That's, that dictates our actions, what we think, how we feel, what we go after, what we seek. He changes our nature by giving us new desires, new longings, new ambitions, new attitudes. And this is done all by the Holy Spirit, which becomes the motivating power 
in the lives of all believers. So, so, so this Christmas Eve, I want you to notice that Christ's intention is to seek out sinners. See, we think that we're seeking him, and he is actually seeking us. And you know what? If Christ is seeking us, he's going to do it through his word. And when you know Christ is starting to seek you, you're starting to get troubled inside your heart. You even sometimes have, oftentimes have fear about dying. Where am I going to go when I die? Where am I going to end up? You may say, well, I don't believe there's an afterlife. I don't believe, I believe you die and that's it, it's over. But the thing is, that, what if that's not it? true? What if it's not true? What, what, if, what is true is what Jesus said, that there is such a place as hell. In fact, Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. And so, who is seeking who? Sinners seeking God in the scriptures and the scriptures giving them the desire to want to know more of God. And then the scriptures bringing them ultimately to a place where this is how you seek God, by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus. That's it. That's where it leads you. So see, Christ is actually actively seeking lost sinners and calling them to repentance. In fact, if you look on your bulletin in Luke 15, verse 3 and 4, he tells a parable to those listening. And he says to them, listen, verse 4, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So, see, here's a great and diligent search that takes, starts taking place, and the shepherd goes after that which is lost until he finds it. And, of course, Jesus is personally tracking sinners and pursuing them until he finds them. It's not, it's not that he cannot find you. It's that he's pursuing you to bring you to repentance and faith. That's what he's doing. And so he never rests until he made atonement for lost sinners. And so therefore he also brought in everlasting righteousness and opened the door of life to all who are willing to receive Christ and be saved. So he is seeking. And Jesus is doing something else. He is persistently pursuing sinners. Because he says in, also in Luke 15, verse 4, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, and when he has found it, he doesn't stop until he finds the sheep. So see, Jesus associates sinners with sinners because he, he wants to bring bring to the lost sheep the message of hope, the good news of the kingdom. And just as the shepherd took the initiative to go out and find the sheep, so Jesus actively seeks lost soul. The tax collectors and sinners with whom Jesus was associating, they needed salvation. That's why he came and talked with them. That's why they were interested, because he was offering them hope. He was offering them something they had never heard before. He was offering it to those who are like sheep 
and cheap, according to Scripture, are actually two things, defenseless and senseless. You know, sheep are not animals equipped with claws or, or a muscular body or great speed or strong jaws or ferocious teeth. They don't have any of that. They're not prepared to fight any enemies. They're not like a lion. Lost sheep are really in great danger because they wander in the dark and have no sense of direction. They need a shepherd. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. We are the sheep. And also, sheep are also senseless. That a sheep will wander on and on in an endless maze. It doesn't know when to return to the place of safety. A dog may find his way home, and usually on his way home, he, if he gets hungry, he finds food. But a sheep is ill-equipped to do so. All creatures under heaven are lost sheep. Uh, and a sheep is one of the worst of the creatures because they are so senseless and so defenseless. We are the lost sheep. That's why in Isaiah it says this, all of us like sheep have what? Have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There it is. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to, to all fall on him. And that's, of course, Christ. So sh- the shepherd brought the sheep home on his shoulders. And he laid hold of the sheep by all four of his legs. And that's what the Bible says, that when he had found the sheep... He laid it on his shoulders, and what did he do? He took the sheep back to the shepherd fold, to the sheepfold, and he placed them there. So, see, Jesus takes no rest as a soul for whom he shed his blood still abides under the dominion of Satan and under the power of sin. So we should be glad. We should be glad today in this season that Jesus receives sinners. And he rejoices at those who come and listen to his, what he has to say. And when they listen to what he has to say and they respond to what he has to say, then they begin to understand what it really means to seek God. This is God's way. This is the guidelines on how you become right with God. In fact, also in Luke, it says that what happens when the shepherd finds the sheep, it says this that Christ is rejoicing when he finds the sheep it says when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says and says to them rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost see God's love is demonstrated in his seeking and in his finding and of course now in his rejoicing that's what the Lord's come to do he's not only come to seek and find lost sheep He's come to rejoice, especially when they listen to him and receive his message. The joy is so exuberant that he cannot keep it to himself. In fact, it flows out to his friends. He wants to invite everybody and tell him about this sheep that was lost and now is found. And he wants to invite his neighbors. And in fact, the Bible says that this rejoicing raises up even to the presence of the angels where it says in Luke 15:7 through 10, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
See, God is concerned with one person who is lost, not with one who is legalistically or rabbinically correct. In other words, those who think that they need no salvation in which they must repent of their sins. He rejoices. So the theme of this whole section of Scripture is joy over finding the lost one, just as a shepherd rejoices to find his sheep. And of course, another parable, the woman who loses her coin rejoices over finding her coin. So the Lord Jesus rejoices over those who believe in him, those who actually do something. They actually repent of their sins. They turn from their sin and they believe in Jesus Christ. See, that's what it means to seek God properly. That's the only way that we can seek God properly. It's if we seek him according to what scripture says. And believe me, we should never forget this, that he who fulfilled his engagement to come into this world as a man and suffer in the place of sinners will also fulfill his engagement to save all those who come to him. He has all that authority in heaven and earth to receive sinners. So, I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're ready tonight for the first time to become a child of God. That would be not only rejoicing here, but there'd be rejoicing in heaven too. See, if you're still stubborn in your self-righteousness, then that's not a good place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And so there's two steps uh, the Word of God leaves us for being right with God. And I already mentioned that already, that, listen, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. See, there, there it is. It's repentance. It's not enough just to feel sorry for your sin or even to fear punishment. But repentance is really the heartfelt sorrow of sin and a renouncing of it. It's a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. It's to follow the shepherd. So see, true repentance really includes thinking, recognizing your own sin and how you have offended God. It, it, it includes sorrow over the demise that one may find themselves and the condemnation that they're under. And they realize that it, it includes confession, agreeing with God concerning your sin and guilt. I agree with you, Lord. I, I am a sinner, and I, and I need you as my Lord and Savior. And I want to turn from my sin and believe in you. Uh, I want that. I don't want to try to do it my own anyway, my own way anymore. And then it's also returning. It's, it's leaving your sin and following Christ. That tax collector, Levi, Jesus says, follow me. And what did he do? He left his tax collecting business, right, which rendered him a great sinner, and he followed Christ and became an apostle. See, we must leave our sin and our unbelief and follow Christ. See, see God delights in and is glorified in repentance. Even in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel says, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? 
declares the Lord? The answer to that is no. But then he says this, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. What God really, really delights in is that a person would turn from their ways and live, turn to Christ, turn to God and live and find out what real life is. However deep, however wicked a sinner, their repentance causes joy in heaven. How deep is the love of God that will receive anyone who comes, no matter what they've done. All the mighty works of men cause no jubilation in heaven, but one miserable sinner's repentance state does. That's incredible to me. And of course, along with repenting is believing. You must personally trust Christ. I can't believe for you. You're somebody who was sitting next to you can't believe for you. Your mom and dad can't believe for you. You're, no one could believe for you. You must believe. You must personally trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And trusting him as your resurrected Lord, he's a living person. Remember, Seeking God will lead you to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. All of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation point to him. And when you believe in him, you believe in him for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. And so we're all trusting something. We're all trusting someone. But the only person who can save us from the wrath of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the result should be this. There must be a transfer of trust from whatever you're trusting in for salvation and transfer it to Christ. If you receive Christ now, and you can, there's nothing preventing you from believing. Now you've listened, maybe reluctantly, but you listened. And so now you're here and when salvation is near you now's the acceptable time to believe um, and the, really the Lord is uh, if, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior the Lord will not delay by investigating your suitability or your worthiness or your past no one is worthy to be saved but Christ but the promise of God is this that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's what this season's about. It's about the truth. It's about the truth that bears on our conscience. And it bears, hopefully, powerfully, in a way that you are uncomfortable about your life until I pray you be restless every day of your life until you come to Christ. And then you'll know peace because he's the Prince of Peace. Then you'll know what it means to be forgiven and be freed up from the burden and bondage of sin. Then you'll know that, and as the word of God is written, then you'll know that these things I've written unto you that you may know you have eternal life, that you'll know, you'll have assurance, and God will give you that assurance that you will have eternal life that you don't have to fear death it doesn't no longer it doesn't have to be that fear every day but Christ will do that I cannot do that only Christ can do that
So, in this season, I pray that you really think about that and that you may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you're already a child of God, we should also receive him gladly because he is our Redeemer. And we should also give worship to him and service to him through our life. In fact, this, new, this next coming year is a great time to, to get your things squared away in your life and use time wisely. See, if Jesus Christ cheerfully died for us, it's a small thing to require Christians to live for him. So I pray that for this season. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, this evening for the word of God. I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would use it in those, in the heart of the people who've come tonight. I pray, Lord, they would know the blessedness of the Savior. I pray, Lord, they would know the gentle touch of the shepherd. I pray, Lord, that they would know that their sin and guilt, guilt that is caused by, is really the remnant of sin, in their heart would be freed because of Christ. Lord, please, I pray that you would bring someone this season to a saving knowledge of yourself. And I pray, Lord, that they would now know that the scriptures give us the guideline on how to seek God and how to be made right with him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've accomplished everything that needed to be done so a lost sinner can come in repentance and belief and be saved. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together.